welcome to episode six. It's been a while. I know. But we are thrilled to be back with you for the next installment of the official Seattle Kraken podcast, Signals from the Deep. I'm Nick Olchek, in case you forgot. Uh, your host, um, alongside the fantastic Grant Beery, without his producing mastery, we're not on the air, and this doesn't happen. So, Grant, thanks for everything you do. That's very nice of you. Thank you, Nick. We have a very special guest today. And when I was thinking about the best way to introduce this guest, the thing that came to mind to me is that there are a lot of people that love the Seattle Kraken. Fans in Seattle, outside of Seattle, all around the world. Players, coaches, Seattle Kraken staff. But you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy that loves this team and loves hockey in Seattle as much as this guy. He is the Seattle Kraken Audio Network studio host on 93.3 KJR. And he also does great work television play-by-play for the Western Hockey League for Fox 13 Seattle. Mike Benton, thanks for coming on, buddy. Great to have you. Oh, this is great. This is great. I thought for some reason I come in here probably thinking I'm going to get roasted. You know, that's just how we operate. You know, whenever you chirp, it's a, it's a signal of love. But, man, I, I, I can't appreciate you enough. That, thank you so much for, for, for that intro. It is genuine to the core. I mean, my, my passion to cover this game, this team, in this city runs deep. Pardon the expression. It has not stopped. And, you know, all things considered, you know, with my family growing up here, and I've got you know, grandfathers, grandmothers, going back generations. To see this now happen into year three coming up here is still a dream come true. And I, I sat down recently with Ever It Fits You, and, you know, we kind of had the conversation of when did this feel real? And when I got my job, you know, it, it took not one day. It didn't take one week. It didn't take one month. It took legit probably three months for me to actually have this all sink in and realize this is real. I did not wake up yet and, you know, realize that this was all a dream. This is real. It's the best thing, man. I would say uh, I had a few more nice things to say about you, (laughs) but you were about 11 minutes late, Mikey B. So I had to cut it short, but uh, regardless, very, very happy. And we, and I definitely want to delve into your uh, past, um, your passion for the game and and it does run deep. I think that's kind of the best way to put it. So take me through, take us through where your passion for hockey started Mm -hmm. and how you got to this point. It's, it's got a bit of a non-traditional scope with it here. So, you know, unlike you, unlike many, you know, I I didn't have, you know, the opportunity to play this game. I, I was a late bloomer. Uh, I, I grew up actually going with, you know, my father, my grandfather to Mariners games at the Kingdom back when they had Dave Henderson, Alvin Davis. We moved to the Los Angeles area uh, in the late 80s, right when Wayne Gretzky coincidentally got there. So we saw this whole thing just mushroom and explode. And then, you know, several years later, you had the Mighty Ducks come in, Paul Correa, Tamu Solani as well. So I was a late bloomer here to this game. Uh, it was more of me kind of, you know, ingesting the culture of it, 
getting a chance to go watch Wayne Gretzky at the forum still um, technically in his prime, although he didn't win any, any more cups after he left Edmonton. But watching that, watching him work his magic, watching the Kings work their magic, and then the Ducks come along and you have this whole huge promotional mushroom of the game blow up as a result of it. You know, that led me on to playing some roller hockey, some street hockey as well. Lost a tooth, matter of fact, and got a concussion out of the deal. That's a different story, which you're very well aware of here. Um, but, But I grew up more as a fan of this game. And because I understood, you know, how much it took for commitment to play this game at an early age. You know, if I couldn't make the NHL as a player, I wanted to be a broadcaster. And I had that realization probably about about age 15 or 16 uh when i figured it was too late to get into hockey uh i i maxed out my my baseball potential at about probably seven hits in one season in little league uh (laughs) my dad at that point told me i'll I'll back you up here but pick a sport baseball or golf pick golf and and had a blast you know played varsity in in my high school shout out glendora high uh but at that point i thought do i want to keep you know, pushing this more and more where I realize there's a ceiling and you get out of high school and you realize the ceiling's there. So I don't want to, you know, try to squeeze a, a, a square peg into a round hole, so to speak. And then thinking if I couldn't play the game, I could still be at the game and be in broadcasting. And the way that Bob Miller conducted a telecast with the Los Angeles Kings uh, just blew me away. It captivated me. Um, I'm lucky to know Bob here to this day. He got he helped me get my first job in pro hockey as well. But I thought being at the game, telling a story, whether it's play by play, whether it's on the hosting side, which I, I now do here for this organization on, on on KJR, that's where the magic happens for me. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to get to. And off we go. So Thank you to hockey in Southern California. That's what Wayne Gretzky and the Kings did, the Mighty Ducks. Um, I'm proud to say I'm one of many, many, many people who came from that area, whether it might be yeah. broadcasting or playing it definitely, where you know that environment had the effect on it. Growing up in that quote-unquote, which I don't think this serves as an accurate description anymore, but a non-traditional hockey market, that being California, Southern California. How exciting is it to see the game of hockey grow so much down there when you think about it, when you look at it? And right with success comes popularity, comes youth hockey, right? LA Kings, two Stanley Cups, Anaheim Ducks, Stanley Cup winners. So, you know, when you look back, like, does that bring a real sense of pride for you knowing that a place where you spent so long is now a place where a lot of great young hockey players are coming from there oh yeah for sure for sure and, and I even go back and think of what I stashed away in a couple of storage bins in my garage you know just from childhood and th- this all comes with you know you get married you have kids you move and you know you you declutter but the things I could not throw away from my childhood were about probably a stack of five Los Angeles Kings game programs back when Gretzky played there and also a playoff towel from the first ever Mighty Ducks Stanley Cup playoff game. It sat actually a row right behind the guy who played Goldberg, right behind <laughs> center ice as well. Thank you to my my best friend, Matt Barker. Um, his uh, parents' company had tickets there. And uh, 
Won't ever for, for I won't ever forget that game. Period. Well connected, Mikey B. Jeez. Can't ever can't that? ever forget that. That I was eternally grateful for that. Yeah. So I, I think in a roundabout way, when when you see the game explode to what it has become today, you you've got you know not just the Kings, not just the Ducks, but just you know venues upon venues of grassroots rinks to sign up and play the game out there that make it so accessible and that to me is the genesis of what we're seeing right here Mm -hmm. in seattle uh it's the genesis of what we saw in colorado i remember having a chat with uh, their radio guy connor mcgahey good friend of ours as well before this series began and great guy he, he said when the avalanche won the stanley cup in 1996 uh, the avalanche before that were the talk of the town but when they won that cup that was the launching pad to the game just absolutely erupting from the grassroots level Mm -hmm. and you're seeing rinks upon rinks built you know kids wanting to sign up and play adults who just want basic stick and puck go sign up and play Mm -hmm. and that in essence is what we're seeing here just like dallas just like florida as well and then I even go to the minor league side where, you know, you're seeing teams back in California like Bakersfield, been around for over, you know, 30 years now. Um, the Ontario Reign, Coachella Valley, mm-hmm. which might have the most pristine setup in minor league hockey, period. San Diego, which is an unbelievable town to go play pro yeah. hockey out there. I, I, I wish in my time in, in the ECHL we had more than just one one year in there. Because that, 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 I'll tell you what, you wake up in a hotel room, off the cliff of Point Loma, open your windows, that blast of fresh air blows right in, nothing like it. Going to the rink in shorts and flip-flops yeah, so, doesn't sound like the worst thing, yeah, right? So, so we're seeing all this just, you know, blow up, mushroom, you know, with the, the the way the fans have embraced the game out there. It, it's much more mainstream now this day yeah. versus, say, back in the 80s when the old joke was when the Kings were at the Forum and playing in their, you know, purple and gold uniforms, someone calls a ticket office and ask what time's a game, and a rep on the air line says, what time can you be here? It's a lot different now. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot right. different now. And I, I love the direction that you that you took this question in because that's where I was going to kind of dovetail it into is the explosion of hockey we're seeing here in Seattle. Yeah. And for as long as you've been here, um, and we know the great presence that junior hockey has in this town, going all the way back, obviously, the NHL a long, long time ago, but to have the crack in here... And to see so many youths, or as the My Cousin Vinny movie, youths. <laughs> to see That's so many too, to see so great many flick. kids wanting to play, playing in their high school or their high school or middle school or elementary school gym class, right? Wearing the merchandise and wearing the Kraken logo on their clothes. Um, I think personally. I liken that to my time spent in Chicago, yeah. where Chicago Blackhawks are an original six team. They've been around a long, long time, but throughout the early 2000s, they weren't even a blip on the map in Chicago, right? With all the other sports that they have there. And then yeah. they start winning cups, right? You win three cups in six years, and there's just an explosion of fandom. You have people becoming Blackhawk fans, and you got kids that want to be like, their version of Maddie Beneers or yeah. their version of Jaden Schwartz or Jordan Eberle or Vince Dunn or Adam Larson. So when you have that combination of players you can look up to and of success, that's only going to grow the game. And I'm sure you can attest to this, but 
a place like Kraken Community Iceplex where you got three rinks. People can come out and learn to skate. They yeah. can play. And look, you don't have to just get on the ice to if you're a young kid to say, you know, I'm going to be playing in the NHL one day. Of course, you want to have those dreams. But for kids that just want to play the game, yeah. in a way, it's almost never been more accessible to be able to go try it out, see if you like it. And if you don't like playing, at least you could still be a fan and go to games. Well, and I love your point because this is more than just signing up to just, you know, play for two and a half hours. It's taking a sport and using it to your night, your friends, your family, your loved ones, what have you. I mean, I, I use kind of the baseball scope of this. I mean, baseball for me early on as a kid was a way to unite my father and my grandfather and I. Same goes for now, I would say to present day, my eight-year-old is playing a ton of baseball right now. My five-year-old, I'll use this as far as you know our own personal testimony from this last season where the Kraken got to within nine wins of winning the Stanley Cup. My five-year-old, who's just learning his ABCs, can now name half of the Kraken roster. <laughs> Half the Kraken roster by just pointing out a number, and he tells me who the player is. Start him early. He's watching every. Yeah. He was watching every game at home. Now, Mama said, you know, by the second period, okay, bedtime now. Yeah. And I would come home from, you know, first round against Colorado, second round against Dallas, and update the boys over breakfast here with you know who won <laughs> or unfortunately who lost. But that that's what this playoff run did is that it brought more texture to this game, to this team, and the faces who put on these jerseys. That's the most important thing. And what blows me away is nearly everybody, Nick, and you see it in that dressing room, they are very open to the concept of community. That's what it's about at the end of the day is you need players that are willing to engage with the fans, yeah. Yeah. with the community, um, in the core group, and the young guys and the older guys have done it. Coaching staff has done it. Front office staff has done it. All the staff from the Seattle Kraken, they do it on a daily basis. And um, that's what creates a winning culture and a team that everybody wants to be part of, whether it be fan uh, or working or playing for the Seattle Kraken. Before we delve a little bit more into last season, because I felt like this would be a great opportunity to kind of wrap up what was an incredible year for the Kraken last year. Um, your current role, how did you get here? Mm. Uh, you took us through your kind of life's passion of hockey and baseball. But how about your working career? H how did you get to the point where you're at now? That's a testimony that I, I love sharing every time because I think two reasons. Number one, if you want something and you want it bad enough, it's going to happen and you're going to get it. Number two, don't place any expectations on a timeline because you never know when it's going to happen and how long you have to wait for. I mean, I, I've seen friends of mine who've got, you know, rocket ships strapped to their belt like you, my friend. You know, you got a lot of, a lot of years ahead of you. And here you are sitting right across the table here from me and you do a fantastic job in your role. Uh, and then there are others who have had to, you know, wait their turn and wait long for that turn as well. And and, and not just me. I even look at a, a great colleague of ours and Steve Carroll in Anaheim, you know, who even mm -hmm. got here, was here for roughly a year in the NHL, then had to dip back into the minor league waters and wait his turn again. And he's been now with the Ducks for over two decades. Yeah. Uh, that's where 
passion. That's where uh, hard work. That's where timeliness all intersect to make something happen. And so for me, I had to wait my turn to get to the NHL stage with a microphone in my hand for 15 years. For actually 16 years, I should say, from when I first embarked on this journey. 2005-06 was when I first began all this, and I was with the Stockton Thunder. Um, upstart team in the ECHL, AA affiliate back then, uh, primarily of the Edmonton Oilers. We had one year as a Coyotes affiliate, then Edmonton came on board. The ECHL is a great league. If you have not worked before, dear listener, and want to do this here for a living, to go ahead and do what you do best, learn more on the fly, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. It even, you know, more or less applies here to present day because no one's perfect here, even Mm -hmm. in, in, in this circle. The thing is, when you make a mistake, is that you learn from it. And for those who have the passion, the drive, and then the willingness to also wear eight different hats in one job. That's the one thing of the ECHL. You're going to go places. So in my position, first with Stockton, then with the Alaska Aces for, for two seasons, and then the WHL before this job with the Everett Silvertips. Radio guy, PR guy, uh, when social media got onto the scene, I, I predate social media, you know. <laughs> Um, Twitter guy, Instagram guy, Facebook guy. Now, if you're working out there, dear friend, and you're in the minor leagues, TikTok guy, you know, MySpace. Or, you ever get on the MySpace train? Exactly. Uh, my, I, we were, we tried MySpace for uh, one okay. year, and yeah. even even you know, an opportunity like this here, I shouldn't even say guy. You know that it's really even expanding here to, you know, male, female, young and old. Doesn't matter your background here. That's the beauty of all of this yeah. is that we're expand that this is all about expanding opportunities. So, uh, in essence, if you're, uh. You know, if you're if you're able to commit to all those duties and sometimes to long hours as well, it's going to pay off in the long run. And also, should I mention sales and sometimes team services? You want to be busy? They'll keep you busy. But it's <laughs> it's all well worth it. So, from 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 Stockton to Alaska to Everett, you know, learning all those lessons, opening those doors. That 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 that's basically what it was all about. I really love the point you bring up about nobody being perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think without getting too philosophical, um, we live in a, in a society where being perfect is kind of obsessed about. And I think for me, one of the biggest things I learned from my role model, my mentor, my dad, is he said that people really appreciate humility. Is that if you mess up, you say the wrong thing <laughs> or you say the wrong name of the player. It's okay to make fun of yourself. I've done that a few times. You know, it's, it's okay to sit there and say my bad or, you know, without just kind of glossing over it. And, and, you know, because I think you earn credibility that way. So, yeah. you know, any, you know, I get asked from, you know, young broadcasters or aspiring broadcasters um, occasionally, what's the biggest advice? And that's kind of what I would give. I would just look, it's, other than working hard and saying yes to every opportunity you get, just like you have, I mean, mm-hmm. working in just about every possible role that you can. Yeah. I think the the essence and importance of of, of humility is, is super important, um, no matter who you are, yeah. right? Because no one's going to be perfect every time, um, which kind of leads me into, we talk about idols and mentors. Yeah. You mentioned the great Bob Miller. Mm-hmm. I mean, legend 
of legends uh, with all his longtime work uh, for the Los Angeles Kings. Um, with him on that list, and maybe you've, you've got a little bit more to say about him, would love to hear it. But yeah. anybody else in your life, in your career, that has helped you get to this point that I know there's a lot because yeah. any, you, you don't get to this point without there being a lot of people that have an impact in you one way or another. But are there a few that come to mind where you can be like, yeah, that person or those people had a profound impact on shaping me into who I am, both the person and the broadcaster? Goodness, yes. Um, I, I don't want to make this too long-winded, mm-hmm. but uh, here we go. Um, Bob, for the obvious reason, which we just covered. And I think what's so important to admire about Bob is his preparation for a broadcast. It's almost second to none. But then also you touched on the humility aspect of it too. And he's often connected to another um, uh, industry idol of mine. Well-known, might be the greatest of, uh, of all time in Vin Scully. Mm-hmm. And they've got characteristics that they share between each other in that they don't talk at you, they talk with you. And observing how Bob interacted, not just on the air with his longtime honor partner, Jim Fox, not just how he prepared, not just how he delivered a telecast, but also how he communicated with people off the air. I, I was a staunch observer of that. And something I take to this day is, you know, without getting cliche, it really is all about the people that you meet. And when I see Bob look somebody in the eye and say, what's your name? And to see them react like they feel as if Bob's been their best friend for about 15 years, that's the biggest thing for me. Vin Scully, I had a chance to observe three games in his booth when I was in college, and it felt like going into the studio um, at back at Abbey Road and watching the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And that's the exact same way Vin Scully treated people off the air as well. That's what meant the most to me. And then you get into the hockey side when I was getting into um, um, into this full-time out of college. George Matthews, Bill Davidge, who were with the Columbus Blue Jackets for a long, long time. They didn't just take my number, listen to my tape, give me advice they took me under their wing forever and were accessible, were, were open, uh, were transparent, and were honest, too, with, with feedback. And they were the ones that helped plant major seeds with the time commitment that it would take to make this job become real, this blessing become real, how to deal with uh, people, how to deal with players also, how to grow relationships, most important thing. And then the the technical side with with uh, prep work as well. They, they were they were masters of their craft, I felt. And, and they found a special way to bond with, with, with Blue Jackets fans for the first 10 years when they were in the booth together. Uh, Pete Weber, I'll, I'll throw that name out too, was so good to me. Yeah. Uh, his first few years and uh, several years in Nashville, still there, matter of fact. but um, Another legend. Yeah, Pete, Pete uh, and I first connected when I was in college and got a phone call from someone on the, on the TV side in LA saying, Hey, Pete needs a stats guy here. Pay, pay great gas money. I mean, in college <laughs> you take what you can get, yeah, right. but it was, it was, it was good gas money for an education of how to prepare and also how to have fun with it. Pete is hilarious mm-hmm. off the air. Yeah. He's hilarious on the air too. But I mean, it, there were times he left me having to walk out of the booth in tears mm-hmm. laughing. And, and that's what was the most important thing because you touched on the perfectionism part of it. I'm still learning that. 
I mean, I, I can, I mean, I'll be honest. Sometimes I can beat myself up too much over a mistake, but, um, Pete gave me the whole spirit of just having fun with this and not being so wrapped up in the execution, the technicality of it. It's good to have a set of boundaries, but the most important thing is to sit back, gain some, you know, wide-eyed space about what you're working around and just have fun with it. Just enjoy it because there's nothing like it. Yeah. You need to have fun with, with what you do. And I know I speak for all three of us here, Mikey B and Grant, when I say that life is so much better and more enjoyable when you love what you do, when yeah. you, you get to go to work, you don't have to go to work, right? And when you surround yourself with people that are equally as passionate, um, it just makes everything a lot more rewarding and just makes everybody feel that much better. And which is why I maybe a little bit biased think that we have the best broadcast team in the league. And there are some great broadcast teams. Yeah, the teams. athletics said so. Yeah. There are some great broadcasting legends around the league, but just looking at the camaraderie that everybody has from the TV side to the radio side, just feel like there's such a, such a great connection. Um, which is now where I want to take us mm-hmm. to your studio role on the radio mm-hmm. side. You got a chance and you have a chance to work with Everett Fitzhugh and Dave Tomlinson mm-hmm. on a game-to-game basis. Yeah, What is it like working with those guys and how much more do they make you enjoy what you do? I go back to when I had dinner a few nights ago with them and... It's not just the essence of their colleagues. It's the essence of their friends. And, I mean, let's be honest, no matter where you work, you're not going to be everybody's friend, but but you make the effort to to make them feel comfortable. And a comfortable working relationship is, is such an important core value here for me. So when we were all putting this into place about two years ago, still in the expansion mode, everything's being pulled right out of the box, out of the bubble wrap, everything. Also relationships came in that same scope. And we're, we're building a venue, we're building a hockey team, but we're also building relationships here. And the most important thing for me to working with Everett and Dave was trust. And that trust is built on the foundation Everett's got his job, who is about now living legend status and play-by-play around here. Dave Tomlinson, two years as an uh, an unbelievable mark that he's made here with this job in color commentary. And he's having fun with it, too. He's had fun with it. And my job is to fill in the gaps, pregame show, intermission, and postgame show, and not make it something where... Once we go to commercial break, period's over, game's over, all right, it's time to go ahead and turn it off now. What I wanted to do and what, I've, what I hope I've done is create a playground for our listeners to enjoy more of this game with a different texture, to give it more, I think, personality in its scope with the pregame show, with the postgame show. And ultimately for me, it is tell a good story tell a good story that's where my mind goes every time i meet someone new in that dressing room downstairs that's where my mind goes when i prepare a few lines of questions for 
for these players, whether it's at media day, whether it's, you know, in the room after practice, whether it's in the room before morning skate or after morning skate before a game, it's in what way can I make them feel comfortable and help us find a way together to tell a good story that then helps me do my job most effectively. And that's what's so enjoyable about this. I mean, I I look at it from a national scope with how Dan Patrick has his own show, tells a great story and builds camaraderie with his guests with uh, Rich Eisen, who does the same thing as well. And, and our local guys as well on KJR, you know, from Puck, Jim to Chuck Buck, even Ashley Ryan, good friend of ours, uh, Jess McIntyre for the Ian Furness show, our lovable uh, softy and uh, Dick as well. But they, they do such a great job at conveying the emotion that runs rampant across Seattle and telling a good story. And in a way, with my own personality and, and, and my own branding, that's what I, I, I want to do too. You speak about telling stories, meeting new people around the dressing room. Just recently had the entry draft. Mm. What'd you think? What do you think about the first round pick, Edward Shala? Mm-hmm. And was there anything that stood out to you at dev de- at development camp that kind of maybe opened your eyes about a couple players or whatnot? Well, you know, for instance, n- uh, number one, if you love offense, uh, get your popcorn ready. <laughs> I call, love like, popcorn, so d- I'm ready. D- d- uh, me also. I mean, I'll, you you bring the popcorn. I'll bring whatever the the, the cinnamon dust. You know, butter, cheese, caramel, whatever. I, I'll I'll do anything. Bring the cherry coke too. Oh, That's cherry coke. Compliments big popcorn big, very well. And maybe a, a blue raspberry icy, too. Okay. And maybe a box of cookie dough bites, too, if you don't mind. That might be my movie theater down order. down that way, by that the way. You want to hit my, it up here? That could very well be my <laughs> movie theater order every time I go. <laughs> you have enough room for that? Dude, I'm the, like, garbage don't disposal. Don't drop anything, my goodness. I got the garbage disposal <laughs> in my stomach. So the draft. Yeah. Um, man, we, we, we uh, had a blast that last day. 15 goals. I think the final, the Vegas, I mean, I don't want to bring Vegas into this conversation because we have, we have enough of Vegas and Seattle talk, but I think Vegas's development camp final was like two, one. Mm-hmm. We had eight, seven yeah. in this final, in this, in this final score. Yeah. You love offense. You're getting offense here. When there was what? 650 people in the stands too. 650. And they were fans. all there. They were all there oh. 45 minutes before puck drops. Yeah, We had some let's go cracking chance going on while the guys were still in the dressing room. What a phenomenal. Turnout. That's why I love this town. Was That's why I love this town. Yeah. So, so I think what, what I took away from, from the, from, from, from that development camp game, 15, 15 goals combined, seeing these faces for, for two days, a lot of, high-end skill, maybe some risk in there, but a lot of potential high reward. And that's what Ron Francis got with four draft picks in the first two rounds. And we kept hearing over and over, yeah, do you trade the pick? Do you trade the pick? And, you know, we're, we're going to hear that. There's always options. Ron loves his options out there. But ultimately, this is still a franchise that for the long term is still under construction. And do you want to throw away a bunch of your picks for a guy that you can get now, but you're still building out from the foundation just to add like a, a nice shiny uh, a, a leather couch mm-hmm. when the walls aren't done yet? Yeah. This in essence helps build the walls around now. And a lot of offenses coming in, a lot of potential high-end skill is coming in. 
Edward Shala, who sticks out to me for the first round pick, just off the charts skill. Off the charts skill. He scored a filthy breakaway goal where I'm calling it, I'm ready to toss to you and Allison, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, how good can this kid look at 24 or 25 years of age? And maybe the one thing that we read across the board were maybe attitude or commitment issues, you know, which helped, which made him fall from mock drafts. And we all know mock drafts. I mean, they're basically that mock drafts. They are opinion. They are subjective, but my own eyes, my observations, he had a smile that would not leave his face for two days. Talking to people around the organization, they said the same thing. We had no idea where this read on commitment came from, which I mean, again, is a very, very subjective thing. If you show up, if you want to be here, if you want to commit, you've won half the battle. And it looks like he's already won half the battle. That skill is going to take over. I love where he's going to be going to playing in at the OHL this next season. That's a great league. It's got a pro-style schedule. I mean, the talent that comes out of that league that plays not, not and, and not just plays in the NHL, but then stars in the NHL is off the charts. That's a great playground for him. To me, with Edward Shala, it's the hockey IQ. Mm-hmm. It's the knowledge. And you can work on skating, and shooting, and passing. But hockey IQ to me is something that you can improve, but you either kind of have it at an elite level or you don't. Mm -hmm. And it's about not just when do I make a move around a player, when I get to the goaltender on a breakaway, what move do I make? It's all about positioning on the ice, where to be in the defensive zone, where to be reading the forecheck on the offensive side, like Mm -hmm. the hockey IQ, and it happens like that. In a split second, in a half a second, in a millisecond, you got to make a decision whether to stay, whether to go, whether to make a pass or whether to pass up the pass and make a move or take a shot. And and I it's see almost that instinct. it is. I mean, that's exactly what it falls down onto. It is instinct. It is the basis of, of being instinctual with the puck and without the puck. And I think to me, that's something that has helped kind of separate him from the rest of the pack. And I would totally agree from the individual skill drills to development camp scrimmage he shows that he is and will be an elite level player hopefully uh, for a long time to come so a successful draft really also really excited about a guy Carson Raycop who has such an upright skating style you can't really miss him he's got good size he's got a heck of a shot on him had a phenomenal couple of years with the Kitchener Rangers in the OHL, the Ontario Hockey League. Um, that, to me, is another guy, second-round pick, who I, who I think is is could really be something special for this team. And then there were some other players at camp who we've seen before who have continued to take great steps. And for me, I look at a guy like Ty Nelson, mm-hmm. who scored just an, an ice burner of a shot he off of a so one good. face off. He looks so good in camp. Back to the right point. He was lined up on the left, traditionally a right side defenseman, but offensive zone face off. You can switch to D to get on their one timer spots. If you win the draw back to the D, you send it right over for a one time. He scored a beautiful goal like that, five hole. Um, but just to see the progression of these guys, right? You joined Coachella Valley there for a little bit of the playoff run. Um, 
So to continue to see the players that not just were drafted in the most recent entry draft, but players that were drafted last year or the year before that are starting to develop because those kids are going to be the future of this team. You know who I also like? Tell me. Lucas Dragasevic. Yeah. And Kraken fans don't have to go far to watch him now this yeah. year. Tri-City Americans, they'll, they'll play in Kent one night, you know, three or four times a year. They'll play in Everett. They'll play in Wenatchee, new team now in, in the WHL. They'll play down in Portland. They'll play in Spokane. And to see him put the numbers up that he had this year was already obscene enough. To do it under the fact that he had never played defenseman in his life yeah. until three years ago is mind-blowing. So he'll pick up those habits over the next two, three years here, you know, a lot of the back skating, a lot of the stuff that you do in your own zone, defending whatnot, that that will all come over time. This is a project pick, but it is going to be one spectacular finale once that project is all done with Lucas Dragasevic. As a defenseman, you can really hammer home and really teach and really improve the defensive side. When it comes to the offensive side, it's kind of like what I talked about just a couple seconds ago mm -hmm. is that it's instinctual, right? Should yeah. I jump into the play? Should I not? Should I dive down from the blue line? Should I not? Should I hold on to the puck or should I get it to the net right away? And when you get 75 points in a single season as a defenseman and you're the only defenseman That's to lead sick. your entire team <laughs> in points sick. in the entire <laughs> Western Hockey League... It's not only sick, it's kind of disgusting <laughs> in the most positive way possible. I mean, that's just an unreal year. So the offensive side, he's got down. The instincts are there. But yeah, of course, the defensive side, yeah, any offensive defenseman could use a little work. But you know that if you're going to get points from him, you could be okay with him not being, you know, the greatest defensive defenseman in the world. But those are the different things that are going to be able to continue to be improved upon. But I would totally agree with you that when I found out then saw that he was drafted and I immediately went to YouTube to watch some of the highlights and like every goal he scored he beat the goalie clean mm -hmm. from the point making moves through guys from the blue line in just a one-on-one -on -one shot with the goaltender and he, and, he, and he beat him like every time every goal was just a clean shot beating the goaltender so um, that's very very exciting element to have and we know modern day defensemen aside from just being mobile Aside from the offensive side is that if you can keep improving upon the D uh, and the defensive side of your game, you know, the only better you're going to be. So at least the defensive uh, part of this franchise is, is really looking good moving forward. What's the one thing that, that we always hear when it comes to players and development? Sometimes offense is natural, mm -hmm. but you can always teach defense. Yeah. And I think that will absolutely be, be the case, uh, for Lucas moving away from the kids some big signings in the offseason here for the Kraken I'm going to name a player and I want you to give me your two cents maybe five cents okay six cents if you if, 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 if you're really feeling here, I think <laughs> amazing story kind of speaks for itself what he's going to be able to bring but would love to get your take Kyler Yamamoto. Speed, skill. I remember uh, he absolutely tortured the Everett Silver Tips when he was in Spokane uh, about five, six years ago. Uh, 
he's going to be an amazing redemption story for me if this all pans out. Um, and he, he comes in, of course, smallest player in the league. You know, 5'7", maybe 155. It was 145, I think, when he was drafted uh, by Edmonton. And when you're coming into the NHL to play against the behemoths, the Giants, that's not, that isn't just a physical hurdle. That's a mental hurdle. And from the style that he plays, uh, oftentimes it can be, you know, bat out of Hades with his pace. He's not afraid. He is not afraid to go in between the circles, go to the front of the net, take a whack, take a poke, maybe take a beating one shift, but he'll go right back out there and do it and found a way to get 20 goals at one point in his NHL career. If he can stay healthy, that's the big question. If he can stay healthy, that's going to be one dynamite pickup. To get a guy like that with, with the relentlessness that he plays with, I think complements the forward group perfectly. Yeah. Right? can play in any situation. So I think a great signing and a guy that should he be able to remain healthy, as you had mentioned, can play up and down the lineup, right? Mm -hmm. Can play in the top six, can contribute on the offensive side if he's playing at his best, but then you need him to help out the bottom six, boom, he's there as well. Next player, Pierre Edward Belmar. What do you think? Human jackknife, right? Yep. PK guy, got a little bit of speed to his game. He's, he's getting up there in uh, the upper 30s, and he's got some miles on on him now for his career. But it, it, it's a low-risk signing, and that's where you fill these gaps in is low-risk signings. Bring him in, see what he can do for about a year, and see where that can take you. You know, they, they needed a, a PK guy, which helps out. You know, you lose a lot of your a lot, a lot of those guys who played on that fourth line and Donato and Geeky, Daniel Sprung as well. And, and the offense, you know, losing 21 goals hurts, but you can find a way to make up for that elsewhere. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing for me, though, for Pierre-Edouard Belmar's face-offs. They had to get a face-off guy. Face-offs were something that was held, you know, with a lot of duct tape WD-40, if you will, from this past season. But if you need a guy to win a crucial face-off in the last two minutes of a game to protect a lead or to keep it tied, force overtime, you've got your guy right there. You can't ever have enough players with versatility. Um, and, and I love the point you brought up about face-offs, right? That was a point of contention for this team. Let's pull no punches here. Um, and to bring in a guy like that that has that veteran experience and that's going to be able to go out there and win a draw when you need it most, uh, that is a real luxury for Dave Haxtell and, and his staff to have. Um, and the PK that started good and it went through a tough spell in the middle of the season yeah. and then got better as the year went along, um, some adjustments made um, by Dave Lowry, who runs the penalty kill. Um, really started to kind of find something that worked at the end of the year. And then now you're going to be able to plug this guy in who's played in the league for a long, long time. Um, that's only going to help the depth of this team, the face-off dot, and, of course, uh, the penalty kill as well. Talk about bolstering the back end. Brian Dumoulin. Yeah. What do you think? I, I love this pickup just, just from the standpoint of the leadership that, that he brings from the Pittsburgh locker room, from playing around with Crosby, 
Malkin. Now, you can say the same thing, you know, for Jared McCann, Jamie Oleksiak, Brandon Tanev, Justin Schultz. You know, they, they, they all had their, their role. They all had their value in that team. But you're getting a guy here who had a lot of miles put on him with Chris Letang on that top D pair during their runs to the Stanley Cup. And so when you can bring in a guy who knows how to get there all the way to the top, and once the Kraken, if they can get back into the postseason, can put a guy like him in there, if his body holds up, if health holds up, that could be a very, very important piece here for this back end. Not to also mention the size. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, maybe others as well, if the Kraken found a way to get past Dallas in Game 7, then they had to go take their journey all the way through the Giants that were on that back end for the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. They play with plenty of size. You got a guy now in size with Brian Dumoulin. You got a guy who can play safe with the puck back in his own zone, moving it out as much as we've heard how the Kraken play with speed, with transition. Dave Haxtell hammers this so much. It's not just from the blue line in. It begins all the way back in your own zone and how you transport it up efficiently, connect the dots all the way through, boom, speed. You got a, a good scoring chance. It begins back here with Brian Dumoulin, who knows how to play this game, play it smart. So you hope the foot speed is still there. It can hold up here with the miles that he's put on. But if so, that's a great, great signing. Aside from the defensive acumen and the experience that he brings, you're adding a two-time Stanley Cup champion to yep. your locker room. And if for nothing else, that can create waves for everybody else to not just his fellow defensemen, but the forwards too, right? Being able to show, hey, this is what a two-time Stanley Cup champion looks like, does on a day-to-day basis. I think it's an outstanding signing and a guy that, as I mentioned, is going to be able to bolster the back end um, with size, as you spoke to. Um, and a guy that's been around for a long time and has done it. He's also going to fit in Seattle very well for two reasons. One, he's got a pet bulldog. This is a very, very (laughs) dog-friendly town out here. Number two, also has his own line of wine. Yeah. So a little bit of, uh, you know, I think uh, Chateau Saint-Michel is not not, uh, too far away. (laughs) He's going to fit in. He's going to fit in just fine. A couple of players resigning. Will Borgen, how important is it to have him back in the fold? You know, I, I think of the the uh, one image that went through my mind and where it was Will Borgen's I have arrived moment in the playoffs where this signing to get him back re-upped was so important and so valuable. Not the one-timer he scored at on home ice here against Colorado in the first round, but it was, I think, in in game three or game four and very early on. The place was buzzing. You know, you heard, let's go cracking wall to wall in this building, but you had an Avalanche team that was also fresh, and they were determined to take a series that was still well in the balance and put it in their favor forever. And early on, I saw Will Borgen just absolutely annihilating Nathan McKinnon right behind the net. He wasn't afraid to go after after Nathan McKinnon. And we all know that McKinnon got his points in that series. Miko Rantanen definitely got his points in that series. 
but nobody else did virtually for Colorado. They made life so rough. They made McKinnon earn every point. And to have Will Borgen face a guy like that, just coming off a Stanley Cup, hungry for more, has a Kobe Bryant-like drive and intensity as well, and Borgen unafraid to encounter the beast of Nathan McKinnon right behind the net showed me that's a rock-solid piece. That's going to be a rock-solid piece here on that back end for years to come. A lot of players earn contracts, right? A lot of guys, with how well they played and how well they present themselves on a day-to-day basis, have earned the right to be signed um, by this team. But I think you could really make a case that Will Borgen is, a, is atop that list. Yeah. Um, how he goes about his business, um, the consistency of which he played with last season, but even the season before that yeah where he didn't play barely at all and he had to wait his turn and there were long stretches where he didn't play and you got to stay in it you got to stay out after practice you got to work with the assistant coaches to to because you never know when your name's going to be called or when someone else gets hurt so i i just feel so happy for will um considering to me that he has been a guy that has without question earned the contract that he got two years, two point seven million. I think it's a great, a great contract for him. Um, and like I said, if there is a guy that earned a deal, it is yeah. it is for certain. Uh, Will Borgen. How about John Hayden? Oh man, I wish we would have seen more of John Hayden this year. And the injury thing just you know wiped it all away. But what 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 really took me back about John Hayden was how comfortable he was in this room when he got called up. And he's been here before, obviously, under different stops. But he, he wasn't looking around thinking, you know, you know, I'm walking on eggshells, pins and needles here to fit in. Where do I fit in here on this team? He knew from the get-go of what his role was, and it was to play with size, which he's automatically built with, but also play physical and, and be kind of a, a calming, quiet presence for this team while he was up here for his role. Wouldn't get a ton of ice time. You know, that that goes to Jared McCann, Jordan Eberle, uh, now soon again, Andre Burakovsky, Matty Beneers as well. But for the shifts that Hayden could take, the ice time he was given, it was structured chaos in that he knew how to play within the system, but he knew how to deliver punishment physically as well. Not afraid to drop the mitts on, on top of that. And a player... I really wish would have been around and healthy enough. Unfortunate for him, but what kind of impact could he have made maybe in round two against Dallas? You can find role players in a lot of different areas, but there are certain guys that just get it. Yeah, They, they know that whether they're coming into a locker room for the first time or the 20th time, they just know the right way to go about their business. And John Hayden's been in the National Hockey League for a long time. He's played for different teams. But to have a guy like this in the organization, I think it is so valuable because you know what you're going to get from him every time. Whether he hasn't played in two weeks or whether he's played the last three games, you know you're going to get effort. You know you're going to get leadership. You know you're going to get the intimidation factor. And you know you're going to get a guy that is going to bring the same effort in the same drive and the same type of play every game. And if you're a coach, 
the one thing you crave is to have trust and more importantly, predictability with your players of knowing that if I put Mikey Benton in this spot, he's going to execute on that, whether it's killing penalties, whether it's finding a way to come through and create some offense. So to me, whether John Hayden's playing seven minutes or 17 minutes, yeah. you know that you're going to get that effort. Now, is he going to go score 20 goals a season? It's not, it's not his game, but you need all sorts of players to win on the ice and you need all sorts of players and characters to win off the ice and in the dressing room. And for all the players that I've come across in my time covering this game, you're not going to find a better guy, a better human, a more team-first guy than John Hayden. So I think awesome to have him back. He earned the deal, and uh, hopefully we see a little bit more of him next year. I've got a great short story on John Hayden, which I think perfectly encapsulates that character. And when he was called up, you had a brief sit-down, get-to-know-you moment with him. We got something for... Our, 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 our Meet the Kraken series on the radio side. Uh, he also mentioned, too, that even though, you know, he's the typical modern-day guy, you know, he has social media apps in his phone, he actually has a great set of boundaries. And with, that, with, with, with those boundaries also come how much time he wants to spend or not spend on his phone. For instance, he's got an app which sets a time limit on his own phone to where he looks at social media no more than 30 minutes for the entire day. Once that timer runs up, it shuts everything down. He can't access it until the very, very next day. I could learn a lesson from that. (laughs) I think we all can. Uh, Last one I want to touch on, Joey Decord. Oh, I can't wait to see him next year. I can't wait to see him next year. A couple couple fist pumps from Grant Beery. Grant's happy. Oh, I love Joey. I'm so glad he's back. Joey Decord plays a loud game and he's got personality as well to come with it too. You know, he he's 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 athletic. He'll play the puck behind the net. That's like having a third defenseman back in your own zone transported mm-hmm. up. I mean, he he was throwing I mean, I'm I'm not kidding you. Geno Smith like lobs a guy he's through across two blue lines, you know, to get scoring chances or even, you know, put one at the back of the net during a during a Coachella Valley's playoff time. That that playoff run told me that Joey Decord is mastering this thing at the AHL level down pat. He was spectacular in that. About nothing got by him until late game three against uh, Hershey in that cup final series. But for a guy where if he wants to come in and challenge for the backup job behind Philip Grubauer, that playoff run told me a lot. And the few times he was called up this season in the event that Martin Jones couldn't go, Grubauer couldn't go, also told me a lot. A couple games where the numbers weren't exactly gaudy in his favor. Those were more circumstantial, I think, as far as defensive breakdowns and whatnot. But he had a great game against Calgary early in the season. He looked great late in the season against Dallas, where the Kraken held off a, a late two-goal charge. Dallas scored two extra attacker goals, and we're thinking, oh, no, what's going to happen next? Adam Larson wins that game, but Dallas was pouring it on in that game. If not for Joey Decor, they could have lost that game in regulation. When he comes up here, he shows he's ready for the moment. He's comfortable as well in the moment. So if all things track, it wouldn't shock me to see opening night, Grubauer your guy, and Decor backing him up. 
hockey's worked out pretty good for Joey. I think we can all agree. But I think life after hockey could have a successful path in politics because it seems like everywhere he goes, he's the mayor, right? I mean, he's just he's just beloved everywhere where he goes. He's got that personality where you just gravitate towards him. Pick a town in Arizona. Yeah. Arizona. He's winning out there. Coachella Valley. He's the mayor of, <laughs> of uh, Firebirds land. Um, so, yeah, good to see him uh, getting an opportunity. It's going to be very interesting to see how the goaltender position kind of sees itself through next year. Yeah. Right? Because you got Gruby, and I want to touch on Gruby. You have Chris Drieger, who is coming off a year where he had to battle a long time with a torn ACL. Yep. And he's back looking good, looking really strong. Um, and I think he's going to not go quietly into the night. Um, and then obviously Joey Decord and everything that he did last year. So I think it's going to be very interesting. With Philip Grubauer, mm-hmm. uh, you've been here the entire time, Mikey yeah. B. How about his transition from the year before last year to last year? And how he just kind of, as the season went along, started to take the reins and performed so unbelievably Come playoff time. Well, it's it's so crazy because when when you come off the run that he had with Colorado, you're thinking, you, you know, you're you're going to get that Grubauer out of the box, and, and things didn't work out in season one. You know, and I, I look at maybe I think the transition from year one to year two by putting Steve Briere, the new teacher in his classroom made such a big difference even martin jones on top of that and then, of course martin jones hitting free agency he did such a great job here and you, you, i should say also you mentioned chris drieger because he is in the mix i can't wait to see what chris drieger can do here with steve briere yeah. but when it came to philip grubauer and I'll, I'll, I'll just break it down this way because i am a i am a broadcaster and not a goalie coach but the technicality and how he plays in net changed from year one to year two. And it made Grubauer a lot more efficient and smooth with his movement. Then you could also maybe get a sense when he was fully healthy and had all this new philosophy down, like it was instinct, that big word that we brought up earlier. Then that's where you saw in March and April and May him really begin to take off and fly out of the runway. And a goalie in Philip Grubauer who can do that projected for a full season, you hope, you knock on wood, you say your prayers that he stays healthy too and that you don't see the same thing that happened back in uh, late October. That's going to go a long, long way here for this team because the games that he he won or even stole Mm – and there were a lot in of those. March and April. And then also, of course, the yeah. quintessential game seven in Denver that made him living legend status. Yeah. yeah. That will live forever. Grubauer, who can do that all year long. I know Kraken fans can't wait to find out what happens. 39 games last year during the regular season 17, 14, and four, 285 goals against. And an 895 save percentage. And then you get to the playoffs, right? Plays all plays 14 games, seven and seven record with a 299 goals against and a 903 save percentage. Really good numbers, especially come playoff. Playoff Grubauer. Yeah. So playoff Grubauer was the thing. And when you mentioned the injury in late October, I felt like when he came back from that, he wasn't a different goalie, but he just had this almost renewed sense of confidence. Yeah. And 
love the point you bring up about some of the games where he was able to steal. Because if it wasn't for Philip Grubauer, I mean, could we count five or six, maybe seven goalie wins this year? Maybe maybe five goalie wins this year where Gruby stole the show. So yeah. a healthy Philip Grubauer and a confident Philip Grubauer is going to be very important for this team moving forward because he has proved when he's at the top of his game, there's no question that he can be one of the best goaltenders in this league, especially when, when under the important pressure um, and under the microscope uh, comes some important hockey. So can't wait to see what Gruby's able to do uh, next year after a successful summer training and, and doing everything that he does. Um, as we embark towards the end of the podcast, Mikey B, just a, a few more topics I, I'd love to hit on with you. Mm-hmm. With our eyes on next season, how about an area or two of improvement that you think this team can build on from last year and get a little bit better at or some areas where we're kind of lacking that they need to take a step in if they want to not just make the playoffs Mm -hmm. again but to get even deeper into the playoffs than what they got last season i i love i love that question because so much went right for this team to get a playoff berth in just season two Uh, i think my my brain first goes to the face-off circle and how much of a difference that can make, especially in a few games where the Kraken held the lead late and then gave up the, the, the big key extra attacker goal. I mean, it all starts with face-offs. We, we hear that a lot from Dave Haxtell. I, I would love to see what a healthy Andre Burakovsky can do, what an improved, upgraded year two version, full year two version of Matty Beneers can do for this power play and really take this thing hopefully next level. And what maybe Vince Dunn, when, whenever his, his new deal gets done, pardon the expression, what uh, Justin Schultz can do as a right shot D, uh, back on that point, uh, see if Ellie Tolvanen can surpass what he's done uh, with his production out here and be a big piece of this power play which, best waiver wire is, pickup in the history of waiver wire oh my goodness gotta be my goodness ron, ron francis shut that down deserved gm of the year maybe the decade just for that waiver wire pickup yeah. right there yeah. um but I, I i would love to see what all those pieces can do to formulate a power play that can be top 10 in the league if that can happen i think you're looking at a Kraken team that can take that next step. For me, the big piece is, of course, replacing Daniel Sprong and his production. They got it despite his limited minutes. But again, Sprong came in, an incredible story. He was on a PTO in training camp, earned that one-year contract, told me that his you know, tongue-in-cheek is his mission was to get a league minimum deal. He got the bag. <laughs> yeah. Off he goes. But, you know, if, if Kyler Yamamoto can find a way to make up for that getting you know get get between 10 to 20 goals you got something right there find pierre edward belmar some chances to you know chip in a little bit find a healthy andre burakovsky and then ask for the same production out of everybody else bjorkstrand too taking into account that he was in a massive slump in the first few weeks of this season you've made up that goal production right there and you keep your identity and you make upgrades and to put a wrap on last season before we move into just a few topics of next year. A lot of great things happened last season. 
But the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you for your highlight of last year, what was it? Game six, Dallas, second round. And I, I say this over and over, where oftentimes in, in my line of work, I've got a headset on, I'm taking notes. When I'm not on the air, I'm trying to hear what, you know, Fitz and, and Dahmer have to say where I if they if they if, if they say something that that really sticks out to me, I can take a note and reference that during the postgame show. And then when then when intermissions rolling, postgame shows rolling, you know, I'm I'm going like in like a a, a spin cycle of uh, execution. That's that 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 basically is the main goal for me. Mm-hmm. Pardon me. But you can sometimes become a little bit too wrapped up in I think the concept of execution to where you hear the crowd, but you're like in a vacuum and it's almost kind of like a player. You know, sometimes players will say that they hear the crowd, but can they really feel it? They don't really feel it sometimes until the final horn's gone full blast. They can raise their sticks in the air and say, thank you fans, because their, 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 their brain, their mind is in a vacuum. But that game six for me, when Matty Beneers scored to make it 5-2, I remember Climate Pledge Arena being very loud in the playoffs. I never remembered ever hearing a hockey building, not in my career, but in my life, that was so loud. And I had to take my headset off, take my earbuds out, and still hear the goal horn finishing up going full blast lithium blasting over the the loudspeakers and just look all across my eye and hear just this wall of sound of let's go cracking give me goosebumps i got goosebumps again now mm-hmm. talking about that yeah i got major major goosebumps that to me was the moment where you've heard about Kraken fans, you've heard about Seattle fans, but if you watched that game or if you were in the building that day, you felt this team, this town, all in the scope of hockey, take that next step. They had arrived. They are loud, and there's nobody like them. A player who has taken the next step, a player that has arrived, a player that won the Calder Trophy, last year for rookie of the year in the National Hockey League, Matty Beneers. What do you think is the next step for him looking ahead to next year? What what are you expecting to see from him? What do you think he can even turn into more in his official second season in the National Hockey League? I think for me, it's, it's looking at this and being one day closer to him maximizing his potential about three or four or five years down the road here because that's where you're going to really see peak Matty Beneers hit. So he cracked 21 goals. Can he get to 30? It's possible. Will it be a realistic goal? We, we, we really don't know. That really depends, of, of course, upon Jared McCann, Jordan Eberle. That that line played so, so well together. Chemistry. If, yeah, yeah, chemistry. Off the charts. If they, if they can maximize what they did, that that's not out of reach for Matty Beneers. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do as a better face-off guy as a guy who can be continuously evolving in his two-way game. And there were some plays we saw in the playoffs where he made a great defensive play back in his own zone. And that, to me, was not... was I think, to me, was the magic of Matty Beneers 
in not just finding a way to use his speed, to use his skill, but to where he is a threat in every zone of the ice, to defending a play back in his own zone, to scoring a goal back at the other end, and to find a way to maintain consistency with how he's built, adding a little more muscle here, but he's already getting to work. We, we had a conversation about, I want to say two and a half weeks ago, just for our podcast on the Kraken Audio Network. And he was already getting after it. He was in the car, earbuds on. Last time I had a conversation during the offseason with him a year ago, same thing. He's on the go all the time. In his car, earbuds, conversation going while he's on his way from point A to point B. But he's already getting to work in the gym, trying to add more muscle. And to have a guy like that who's just built differently but will now have more experience and more muscle to match up with players who have been out of the top for a few years. That's what I can't wait to see is to have him make that impact. I've said it once before, and I'll say it again. I think that there is one point in Matty Bernier's career where he will be at least nominated for the Selkie Trophy yep. for the best defensive forward Fully agree. in the National Hockey League because you just don't see players his age be as good at both ends of the ice as he is. There is an innate and instinctual, there's that word again, commitment to the defensive side of the game that you just don't find in young players these days, right? Everybody wants their cookies. Everybody wants to score. But especially at the center ice position, if you can be reliable in the D zone, not only are you going to spend less time in your zone, more time with the puck on your stick trying to score, which is way more fun, by the way, Yeah. but you're going to have that trust from your coach and I think as the season went along, the trust from Dave Hackstall grew immensely with Matty Beniers, putting him out there at the end of games, with nursing a one-goal lead, killing penalties, big defensive zone situations. He was out there. So you, if you can trust him on the D side, you know you're going to put him on the power play. Yeah. You know you're going to put him out there late in the game when you need a goal. But can he be a guy that is as trustworthy on the defensive side as he is on the offensive side? I think he took major steps last year. There's still work to do, no question, right? Everybody can improve in every facet of their game, but that to me is, I think, arguably in my eyes, the most special thing about his game because the offense is there. We know he's going to be able to to splice and dice through guys through the neutral zone and show that great speed and, and beat goaltenders one-on-one. But it's the D side. It's a 200-foot game to me that really stands out the most. That's also what I think, if I can just rewind back and what you said, is so important to me. He plays with confidence. He owns the moment. That's what you want out of a star player, and he's well on his way. Last question before we go to my favorite rapid fire real quick. With what happened with this team last year, what is your expectation? For the Seattle Kraken in 2023-24. I want to see him make the Stanley Cup playoffs again. I think getting past the first round is feasible based on what they've got built right now. Um, getting past Colorado was almost kind of like maybe some some bonus time. I mean, every team will say they, 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 they want to win the Stanley Cup. The difference, though, is that some teams are just more developed and more far along than than others the the, the in, and i think in, in other words here the bar is set differently from what you're seeing though you've got a team that last year had the expectation of just being the fight except for everyone who was in that dressing room 
and led by Yanni Gord, who said a year ago, my job is to help get this team into the playoffs. I want us in the playoffs, paraphrasing that. So they've already checked off box after box from this past season. They've got players who are now experienced in the postseason. They've got a goaltender who might be the most important piece of all of this here when he's at his best to keep this team in the fight and steal some games. And he did just that. He was Mr. Game 7 at Colorado and Philip Grubauer. And if not for him for Game 7 in Dallas, who knows? That's mm-hmm. a scary thought. But he kept that team in the fight all night long. So they've got him there. Matty Beneers as well, already breaking through. Jared McCann hitting 40 goals. Production. Jordan Eberle, last year of his contract. Production. Jaden Schwartz, staying healthy. Production. Tolvanen, Gord, Bjorkstrand, the sum of the parts. That's what, that's what made this so magical here for this team. You've got a lot of them here coming back. You're going to hear from them that we expect playoffs here. And now to take on that next role to get into that second round and see if they can get out and into the conference final, that could be fun. But the first big step, do it again here and get back into the postseason. Couldn't agree more. Mikey B., rapid fire let's go i'm going to give you either a word or in some of these it's two words Mm -hmm. and you got to give me the first thing that comes to mind when you hear it okay it could be one word it could be two words can't be more than three yeah okay i gotta i gotta cap you at three words okay are you ready let's go grant are you ready oh i'm ready okay maddie veneers dynamic seattle summers Glorious. 32 Bar and Grill. Mm, you have my word cap here. Oh, man. Don't make me hit the buzzer, Mikey. Come on, buddy. <laughs> Chicken mushroom pizza. Ooh. I'm, all of a sudden, I'm hungry now. KJR. Funhouse. Hockey. In my blood. Everett Fitzhugh. Mayor. Dave Tomlinson. Smooth. Yanni Gord. Hilarious. Climate Pledge Arena. Loud. And I emphasize loud. The Metropolitan Grill. Ribeye. <laughs> you did that just for me. <laughs> no, no. It is testimony, but I did do it ju- just for bone you. Bone in. You missed bone in. Oh, ribeye, I did miss bone in. That's okay. Baseball. Wagyu also. Yeah. Baseball. Oh. Family. The Winter Classic. Oh. Anticipation. And the last one. Seattle Kraken fans. Makes me smile. Beautiful. Mikey B, thanks so much for coming oh, on, buddy. Awesome. That, that was great. Thank, this was awesome. Yeah. Th- 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 uh, thank you so much. My apologies here for being 11 minutes late. And my apologies to those in uh, that massive accident that I had to weave through and around here to just to uh, get here. But uh, Nikki, thanks so much. Man. No, man, this was a lot you of fun. You do great work. You thank do you. great work. You guys so, so deserve that on the TV side with the athletic accolades here. Yeah. It really is. It, it, it really is a joy 
It is a privilege. It is a pleasure to work alongside all of you practices, morning skates and games. Mikey, you make it fun, buddy. You thanks too, for, buddy. Thanks for your time. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to having you at some point in the future. Anytime, uh, anytime. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Yes. I know we'll keep in touch. And uh, Grant, outstanding job as always, buddy. If it's not for you, we're not on the air. So hey, Glad to be back. Thanks uh, for everything you let's, do. Uh, let's make sure we keep this going through the summer. You got it, 100%. Right. Thanks, everybody. All right. Signals from the Deep is the official podcast of the Seattle Kraken. Hosted by Nick Olchek and produced by me, Grant Beery. Have a question for Nick? Leave a voicemail on the Signals from the Deep hotline at 206-279-7810 or send an email to signals at seattlecracking.com. Your question could be featured on an upcoming episode.